0: Open your Bibles to First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians, Paul's, one of his two letters to the church in Thessalonica. If you are able to visit there, the tour guide would call it Thessalonica because it had other names, but we call it Thessalonica. Uh, we took a break from our study in Thessalonians uh, back a few weeks ago, I had a little visit to the hospital, had a little surgery. Thank God it's going so well and the Lord is so good. And I'm so grateful Uh, Pastor Josh preached uh, and continued some of that series. He preached last time from chapter three and oh, he did so well. I was blessed as I listened online. Aren't we thankful for Pastor Josh in summer? Amen. He preached about he preached about our love for the church how we love the church how we walk together how we pray together how we lift one another up how we worship together how we suffer together and all of the different things god permits us to do as the body of christ and then we celebrated christmas we went through five sundays of advent what a blessing i'm still inspired by the message pastor heidi brought during that series She's a good preacher. Yeah. Uh, I want us to get back into First Thessalonians and because now we go into chapter four and uh, scholars tell us this is really considered the second half of the letter. So it's right that we go back now, we've had a halftime break and we're gonna go back into the second half. But I wanna say a few things about Paul's New Testament letters because as you read Paul's letters, you discover that each New Testament letter has a special message or a special blessing uh, that is unique in its own way to uh, the church and the group to whom he's writing. And that would apply to us as well. I hope you'll take some notes today because it'll bless you as you go back and refer to it later. For example, when he wrote Romans, the Spirit moved him to emphasize the righteousness of God. That's what the book of Romans is all about, the righteousness of God. And it shows how that God is righteous in all of his dealings with both sinners and with believers. But the prevailing theme is the righteousness of God. First Corinthians focuses on the wisdom of God. Second Corinthians focuses on the comfort of God. He talks about how we are able to comfort others as God who is the comforter comforts us. And he makes that so clear. Galatians is a, is a freedom letter. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Hallelujah. And Philippians is a joy letter. Rejoice in the Lord always, he said. And again I say rejoice. And then Ephesians stresses the richness, the wealth that we have in Christ Jesus. As we are in Christ. And uh, he is in us. And so what's the special blessing in the message of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians? What's the theme? What's that uniqueness? I want, I want you to hear me now. You cannot read 1st Thessalonians and 2nd Thessalonians without seeing the message of the return of Jesus Christ. And that vital doctrine, the doctrine of the return, the parousia, the return of Jesus Christ, and how that vital doctrine can affect our lives, our church, and how it can make us more spiritual and mature in the things of God. That's why he wrote it. And he didn't just write it for the Thessalonians. He wrote it for you. I said he wrote it for you. He wrote it for me. Amen? And notice this. Every chapter in First Thessalonians Ends With a reference To the coming of Jesus Don't miss that That's why we know This was the heart of the spirit of God Each reference Relates that doctrine then The coming of Jesus To practical living Christian living How we are to live our lives In light of the soon return Of Jesus Christ He gets very up close and personal When he writes this letter and I need you to you you need to hear me say it. I know you know this, but to Paul, this was not some theory to be discussed in a classroom. No, this was a truth to be lived out, to be practiced, to put skin on as we walk with Jesus Christ. And so let's go to First Thessalonians chapter four. I'm not going I'm not going to preach that long. Uh, because we have the Holy Spirit is here and we've had ministry here today But I want to I want to share at least one aspect of it Look at verse one finally then brothers And how you ought to please God That's what it's about And so in light of the coming of Jesus And so I want to talk this morning about how to please your heavenly father Just for a few minutes How to please your heavenly Father. Now, all through Scripture, the Christian life can be compared to a walk. You can't read the Bible without seeing that again and again. Uh, Paul said to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 1, I exhort you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you are called. Ephesians 4, 17, walk not as other Gentiles walk. Ephesians 5, 2, walk in love. 5.8 Five eight of Ephesians. Walk as children of light. So we're walking, aren't we? And it's one step at a time. The Christian life begins with a step of faith. That's how it starts. But you can't just stay there. Babies don't know how to walk, so you have to get up and learn and begin to walk. And you do that by a step of faith. The Bible says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Second Corinthians five seven. Walking suggests progress. One step leads to another place. You're progressing. You're moving. You're going someplace else. You're moving from where you have been to where he wants you to be. This is the walk. Walking suggests progress. Paul said in Philippians 3, I've not achieved it, but I focus on one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward." To what lies ahead i press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which god through christ jesus is calling us he said in hebrews 6 verse 1 leaving elementary principles of the doctrine of christ let us go on to maturity so the christian walk is a progressive walk It's not like you're hearing from the democrats i'm talking about moving forward strike that It's true anyway. What can you say when something's true? We must walk. See, walking demands strength. A baby has to build strength. Our walking must increase in strength. And yet God promises in Deuteronomy, as thy strength is, so as thy days are, so shall your strength be. Hallelujah. And we must walk in the light. The enemy has traps and snares for us. John says in 1 John 5, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, we yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice truth. But if we walk in the light as he is the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Hallelujah. And of course, At the end of the walk, we will just step right into the eternal presence of God. The Bible said Enoch walked with God and was not because God took him. He was in God's presence. Hallelujah. That's what he has in mind for you and for me. Now, our text, if we were to read all of it. In fact, let's read uh, the first eight verses. Uh, He talks about walking first in holiness that's far we're going to get today we'll have to come back again and we'll do that let's talk about the first one walk in holiness let's read it together would you read it in your outdoor voice with me please finally then brothers we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing that you do so in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you for God has not called us for impurity but in holiness therefore whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you now if we jump right into the context of this and background, the moral climate in this Roman empire was not very healthy when it came to morality. In fact, immorality was the way of life. And these were baby Christians, remember that, that Paul was writing to. It was a young church, he had had to leave, he had left Timothy and Titus and they had been there. We don't know how long it took to get the church up and going but there'd been a move of God there and God brought many of them to faith. But because the culture I- embodied slavery as well, thanks to that, uh, that element, slavery, people had a lot of leisure time to indulge in uh, even sinful pleasures, uh, sexual immorality. Uh, and so now he's giving this message uh, to them to help them realize <laughs> No, God has something else in mind for you. You're you're walking with the Lord now, and things have changed. Uh, So he gives a Christian message of holy uh, living. And it was new to that culture. Uh, There was adultery. There was all kinds of, even incest. And uh, Paul was aware of this. They thought nothing of it. And those later references to those last verses about about uh, transgressing and wronging his brother in this matter. Uh, they thought nothing of it to sleep with somebody else's wife and that sort of thing. So it was, it was a part of the godless society in which uh, they were raised up to be a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can, you can see readily it wasn't easy for these young believers uh, to fight the temptation that surrounded them. But Paul gave them four reasons why they should live a holy life and abstain from sexual immorality. Here's number one. Write this down. The first reason is to please God. He said, I urge you, I exhort you how you ought to walk and please God. Everybody loves to please somebody. It's something of an innate part of our nature that we want to please at least somebody. People vary in that. Uh, we know also that people live to please themselves. They, they seem to have no sensitivity to anybody else's needs. Uh, William Haslett wrote one time, The soul of a journey is liberty, perfect liberty, to think, feel, and do just as one pleases. Well, that may work if you're on vacation, uh, but that doesn't work very well in the Christian walk. How many know we don't live to please ourselves? I said, we don't live to please ourselves. Christians, Christians can't go through life thinking about pleasing ourselves only. We're, the first step is a big step of trouble when we try that. In fact, uh, the Bible says, we who are strong ought to hear, ought to bear the weaknesses of the weak and not please ourselves, Romans 15.1. So we, we also need to be careful about pleasing others. You can get caught up in that and not be able then to please God. Paul said in Galatians 1 verse 10, if if I were still trying to please men, I would not be the servant of Christ. So this was Paul's attitude. He recognized in order to please God, he couldn't please everybody else. In fact, there were times he couldn't even please himself. And that's the life of surrender, as we sang a moment ago to the Lord Jesus Christ. He wrote this in verse four, and this was his attitude. As we were allowed by God to be trusted with the gospel, even so we speak not to please men, but God who examines our heart. So pleasing God ought to be our motive for everything. I said, everything we do, amen. I wanna please God. He said this in, uh, John said this in chapter eight, verse 29, in fact, He recorded what Jesus said. I do always those things that please him, God the Father. That's what Jesus said. And we like to sing sometimes to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus. All I ask is to be like Jesus. Well, if you want to be like Jesus, then set your heart on pleasing God the Father and walk in such a way that lets you do that. Now, how do we know what pleases God? Well, how do we know what pleases our earthly father? Most of us could figure that out, couldn't we? We knew when he was displeased. I'm sure. I knew when mine was dis. My father was displeased. But we 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 know that by listening to him, walking with him, staying close to him, uh, obeying what he says. And as we read the word of God, we fellowship with the Father. Uh, we worship God, just like the worship was rich and powerful this morning. Oh, how I thank God for that, because. That, that allows us then each one to connect with God in that, in that presence of God and worship. And he opens our heart and that opens us up to the will of God and to know God's heart. And that pleases the Father. Oh, hallelujah. Well, the second thing that Paul says we, uh, we do to live a holy life uh, and a sanctified life is to obey God. Look at verse two and three. You know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Now, when Paul ministered in Thessalonica, he gave commands to the uh, believers regarding personal purity, walking with God in purity. That word command is a military word. You study the background of it and it refers to orders that were handed down it's like being being uh, an enlisted soldier and uh, uh, our superior has given us orders everybody's ever served in military know what orders are and 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 you know what happens if you didn't do those orders and so this is the context and the language that paul is using may i tell you again we're soldiers in the army of the lord that's one of the metaphors, the pictures that God gives of you and me. And, 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 and there's no option. We must obey orders. I said, we must obey orders. That's the word of God. Uh, Paul says this to Timothy in chapter two of second Timothy verse four, no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Hallelujah. So we please the father. By obeying the Father. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, Paul gets real specific now. He gets into the bedroom with them or wherever they were in, in, in their private life. And he comes right down where they live. And he tells these new believers that sexual immorality does not please God. I know you don't need me to tell you, but it bears repeating and for all of our our younger generation here, I want you to hear your pastor say, uh, God is the one who created sex. Sex was his idea. And, 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 and if it was his idea and he created it, would you, would you agree with me on that? Can I hear an amen? amen? All right. Then would you also agree with me then, since he uh, thought of it and created it and designed it, he then has the right and the authority Uh, to uh, govern and regulate the use of it. Uh, 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 Do I get an amen on that one? So from the beginning, he established marriage as a sacred union between one man and one woman. And God created sex for both male and female. He did that for many reasons, but for two primary reasons. One, we know from the word of God for the perpetuation and propagation of the human race. And we also know, and it, it is biblical and it honors God for the pleasure of marriage partners and the fulfillment and the enjoyment and the encouragement and the strengthening of one another. That's why that God says that he wants a man and a woman to be a married man and woman for life. No, they're not going around like a bumblebee getting nectar from every flower they come to. Please forgive that uh, metaphor. I think you understand. Marriage, dear Jesus. It's amazing what you say under the anointing, isn't it? Here's what the Bible says. Hebrews 13, don't tell, don't tell anybody your pastor never told you the truth. <laughs> Hebrews 13, verse 4 says, marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure. That's what, the God, that's what the word of God says. So God's commandments concerning sex are not for the purpose of robbing people joy but rather therefore protecting them that they might not lose their joy. He has confines, parameters for that joy. See, uh, when when he said, thou shalt not commit adultery, that builds a wall around marriage. It it, it doesn't make that relationship a prison. It, 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 It makes that relationship a safe and a beautiful garden where the husband and the wife and God alone are permitted. Are you hearing me this morning, Church? You you don't have to you don't have to pray about this. What, what about it, what, what it, as to whether it's the will of God? May I tell you that I am troubled by by so-called Christians who 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 come and say, well, it's God's will. I I've been blessed with another love, and I and and they think somehow God was in that nonsense of betrayal and unfaithfulness and 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 <laughs> God tells us clearly abstain from fornication do not commit adultery and and no amount of liberal theology or modern philosophy or modern psychology is going to is going to alter that or change that that's the word of the living god are you hearing me this morning We're talking about walking in holiness. Well, the third reason we need to walk in holiness is to glorify God, to glorify God. Look at verse four, that each one of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of depravity, even as the Gentiles who do not know God. Each one of you possess his own vessel some Bible scholars say that Paul was referring to the person's own body and their private parts. Or others feel that he was writing to men and he's talking about his wife. In either case, I th- we know the message is clear that God wants us to walk in holiness. And there is a preservation and an isolation to doing that and it's in the bonds of marriage oh hallelujah now here's the positive side of God's commandment Christians are supposed to be different from unsaved people we're supposed to walk in holiness people are supposed to be able to see that we're different that we don't do stuff like everybody else in the world does it's a testimony the Gentiles the unsaved who do not know God live ungodly lives but we know god and so we're to live godly lives and holy lives and we're obligated to glorify god in this world he says in verse three god's plan is to make you holy and that entails first of all a clean break with sexual immorality that's jb phillips translation a clean break with sexual immorality Hear me this morning friends the christian who commits sexual sin is sinning against their own body that's what the word of god teaches 1st corinthians 6 verse 19 and 20 not only are they sinning against their own body they're robbing god of his glory and he's worthy of glory if no for no other reason to live a holy life and to walk in holiness is to get to, to allow God to receive glory for what he's done and he's doing in your life. Hallelujah. Here's the fourth reason to walk in holiness. To escape the judgment of God. Paul said in verse 6, beginning, no man take advantage of and defraud his brother in any matter because the Lord is the avenger. Say that with me. The Lord is the avenger. How many know what an avenger is? God said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Every adulterer will deal with Almighty God. It sure is quiet. God's no respecter of persons, is he? No, he must deal with his children who fall in this area when they sin, Colossians 3 verse 23 through 25 tells us, and I won't take time to read it, but some people think, well, because I'm a Christian, God doesn't deal with me that way. I, He cuts me slack or whatever. I can ask for forgiveness. There was a lady who went to her pastor. She was upset that he was preaching maybe a little bit like I am this morning against sin in the lives of Christians. And she told him, she said, well, pastor, after all, uh, she said, sin in the life of a believer is different from sin in the lives of unsaved people. The pastor looked at her and said, yes, it's much worse. And that's the truth. God's word's true. The law of sowing and reaping is at, is at alive and well here. It's at work here in this dimension. And there is a harvest of sorrow that comes when a man or woman of God sows to the flesh. Doesn't mean you'll be condemned, but you know that God's word teaches us. He says in Galatians 6, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death. From that sinful nature, from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the spirit will harvest everlasting life from the spirit. Say amen to that. You remember the story of David. When David committed adultery, he tried to cover his sin. He went through all of that. But God was no respecter of persons, was he? He may have been king. He may have had a lot of authority. He may have written a lot of wonderful psalms but God dealt with him and God chastened him. You read Psalm 32, you read Psalm 51, and you read all of those passages that show what David lost because of his failure. But when when David confessed his sins, thank God God forgave him, didn't he? God cleansed him. God washed him with hyssop and he was clean. But God could not change the consequences, did he? He, I said he didn't change the consequences. Some seed you sow, God's going to let it come up. Are you hearing me this morning, church? And it was a painful experience for him. A holy walk involves right relationship with God, the Father who called us, with God, the Son who died for us, and with God, the Spirit, who lives within us hallelujah and it's the presence of the holy spirit always walking with us living in the spirit that's why he ended that verse that i read a moment ago that he's given us the holy spirit it's by the power of the holy spirit you're going to live a holy life you can't do it in your in your own strength no he didn't he didn't say that he's going to count on you to hold those horses in rein and in check. No, he said he's giving you his spirit. And so we, we trust the spirit of God to walk with us, amen? And we walk day by day in the spirit of God. It's the precious Holy Spirit walking in the spirit where we get the victory. Oh, hallelujah. But to despise the commandments of God, he ends that by saying, you're not just despising words, you're despising God himself because God and his word are one. You despise his word, you despise him, and you don't want that going on in your life. Hallelujah. So as we wrap up this morning, remember with me that Paul devoted a great deal of space in, in his letter to this theme of sexual purity. That's why I've spent a little time with it this morning. It was a critical problem in the church that day. And uh, may I tell you, it's a critical problem in the church today. I said it's a critical problem today. For many people, marriage vows are no longer considered sacred. And divorce, even among believers, is no longer governed by the word of God. It's governed by a lot of other things. God's word is somewhere on the shelf. There, 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 there I, I know you're aware of this, but it, it should cause you uh, to, to be startled in your spirit. Uh, you're aware that there are gay churches where so-called, where homosexuals and lesbians uh, quote, love one another and claim to be Christians and and read the Bible and and, and say that God is accepting that. There are others who, who are committed in practicing premarital sex. There are some who are even calling pornography, Christian pornography, go figure. And that's a part of some of the religious landscape of our world today. And yet God says, walk in holiness. God said what? Say it with me. Walk in holiness. Come on, let's stand together. Stand with me, please. Thank you. I want to do that. How about you? Yes, I said, I want to do that. Yes, and there are many, many reasons, but one incredibly important reason is because he talks about in the latter part of this, and we'll get into it maybe next time, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. The voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God will sound. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That deserves you and me walking in holiness. Yes, hallelujah. Come on, let's give him praise today. We love you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We want to walk with our hand in your hand, Lord. We want to be holy. We want to walk in holiness, Lord. We want to walk in holiness. And if you're hearing me this morning, I want to say to you, this is a wonderful time to trust Christ as your Savior. Or if you're away from the Lord, to come back to him and put your hand in his hand. If you failed him, he will forgive you. He loves you. You are valuable to him. God searches for that which is valuable. Just like the woman looked for the lost coin and the shepherd went to look for the lost sheep and there was rejoicing when they were found and God rejoices over you. Hallelujah. And he's welcoming you today. And you can do that. Just ask him to forgive you. Pray a simple prayer with me and let's all pray it together. Dear God, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. I, for, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I have failed you. My sin was against you. But please, Lord, forgive me. Your word tells me that you will. And so I believe that. And in the name of Jesus, I receive Christ now. Thank you for washing away my sin. Help me to live for you. Help me to walk a life of holiness by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. God be with you. Walk in holiness, walk in holiness. This is your sanctification. That means separated from sin unto God and in fellowship with him you're out of here. God be with you. (laughs) Amen.